Welcome to episode 211 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every Every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 211 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? Well, I'm still at the beach, so that lets you know I'm good. I'm going home tomorrow. I've just enjoyed this week so very much. I was going to go home on Saturday. It is now Sunday, and I'm not going home till Monday. Chad was so sad. I was like, oh, because my sister decided to come down, and then I need just a little more time, you know. <laughs> so yeah, I was like, I'll be home Monday. He's like, what? thought you were coming home on Saturday. But anyway. So relaxing. It is. Yeah. I've, I've been doing a lot of work. I had things I needed to do here at the beach property, but 
well, I'm recording a podcast. I just recorded an ad for something else. I'm working. So, you know, to me, this is relaxing. It's my kind of relaxing. Getting your vitamin D levels. Yeah, I am getting my vitamin D. That is true. Did I tell you I got my vitamin D tested and I way overshot everything? Yeah, like it's high? Yes. Well, that's, I mean, I don't know that you can have too much vitamin D, right? I've been researching it. I don't think so. I don't want to make that blanket statement. Basically, there's only been, as far as toxicity studies with vitamin D, there's been, I think, like two, and they were massive, major doses, like things that people would not be doing. But I am going to hold off. I feel like all my vitamin D levels, because I was, I think, like 30, which is low, and now I'm like 130. So have you had yours tested? Not for a long time. The last time I had mine tested, it was low, but I had not been supplementing and it was like I'd not been in the sun because it was it was wintry. Yeah. I guess I'll err on the side of having more rather than less. I think it's so important, the vitamin D. Well, I think so for immunity. I just watched a video. It was a doctor talking about immunity and he said, you know, seasonal cold and flu season, you're not to mention coronavirus, obviously, but seasonal cold and flu season is very much seasonal low vitamin D season. So just keeping our vitamin D up is really one of the best things we can do for immunity of all types, I think. Yeah, I'll actually put a link in the show notes. And I think I talked about this before on the show, but I did a guest blog post on Sunlighten's blog. And I did a section on vitamin D with a lot of the studies on COVID and things like that. And it's just very, it's a very intense correlation. Now, I couldn't find, does a sunlight and sauna increase your vitamin D? No, sorry. Yeah, I sh- I'm glad you said that to clarify. Because I was like, I looked for that and couldn't find anything that's, that, that indicated that. So if it does, that's really exciting. But <laughs> I mean, I thought the answer was no, because I looked it up. They asked that about sunlight and infrared, and they asked that about like red light juve devices. So no, those do not create vitamin D. But I got excited for a minute because I was like, well, I could be wrong. Maybe I missed it. No, no. They have a health and wellness blog. We have a link for them, right? For our show? I think so. Well, if not, we need one. I love my sunlight and sauna. Yes. So for listeners, you can go to ifpodcast.com slash sunlighten and the coupon code ifpodcast gets you whatever their deal is for us. I think it's like $200 off a sauna and free shipping, I think, which is insane. I am so glad I invested in that sauna. I love it. It's so great. Yeah. You know, I got the the three person that you can get in and it is, I mean, I wouldn't get in there with two other people. <laughs> I actually, because I have the solo unit, the one that you lay down in for the first time, because the place where I'm doing my, my almost daily cryotherapy, they have an infrared sauna. They actually have a clear light, which I, I like that brand too. I hadn't realized I hadn't sat in one of those. Oh, really? Mm-mm. It's a different experience being in the cabin unit. Yeah, it's nice. And it has a tablet in there so I can watch TV while I'm using it. I mean, you may not want to do that, but but I can. I have it on like Discovery Plus because I'm watching Discovery Plus right now. So I'll go in there and put on an episode of something and set the timer and just watch one episode and then get on out. That's been my new morning routine at home, not at the beach because I don't have one at the beach, but get in the sauna first thing in the morning, use it, then go get in the shower. It's so funny how we do it opposite. It's like the last thing I do. I brought my phone though into the the clear light one. And then I was like, oh, I think I'm killing my phone. (laughs) It got really hot. I felt like it was on the struggle bus when I got out, like the phone. You really aren't supposed to heat those phones up. That's true. And, you know, for me, now that I'm no longer on Facebook, I used to feel the stress of being in there because I'm like, what's happening? I'm 45 minutes in this sauna and I don't know what people are doing in the groups. But now I'm just like, I didn't take my phone in. I just got in. It was so nice. For listeners, when you have the solo unit that I have, it's hard to describe, but it's like a, I don't want to say a coffin, but you you lay down. Like a big sleeping bag? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's a good example. A big one. Like, so it's not touching you and your head is actually out of it. So I have a whole setup. I got this arm to hold a phone so I can hold the phone over me and I can read while I'm in it. So it's relaxing and productive and uh, one of my favorite things. Guess who I interviewed yesterday? Well, I don't know. Marty Kendall. Oh, I love Marty Kendall. Yay. Isn't he awesome? He's amazing. And he was going on and on. He'll probably listen to this. (laughs) 
it was really wonderful because I really respect him and I have for a long time and he really respects us and he has for a long time. So it's this really cool mutual respect thing. We were bonding over the fact that neither he nor I are, we're not doctors or nutritionists. You know, (laughs) he's an engineer. I'm a actor, podcaster, author. I don't even know. You're a biohacker. A biohacker. (laughs) Is that my identity label? I guess so. Yes. But oh my goodness, listeners, I can't wait till I air this episode because it's going to be like the resource episode that I refer listeners to now for the misconceptions surrounding keto and insulin and ketones and all of that. We talked for two hours and we just dived in so deep. And I think it's going to be so valuable just to refer listeners to it. He is brilliant. Yeah, he's amazing. And you know, what I love about him is that he, you know, started off thinking certain things because like the conventional keto wisdom, you know, that we've all read a hundred times, but then he realized over time, wait a minute, no. And then he did the work and, you know, has done the the actual trials and you know, work with people who are, I don't mean trials like clinical trials, but I mean like, you know, they've tried it out, seen what happened, measured things. I'm trying to remember, I asked him at the end, like, what was the thing that he most changed his mind about? I'm trying to remember exactly, because we, we talked about all of this for two hours, so it's all running together. Was it eating a lot of fat? It was either eating a lot of fat is the key, or it was like that keeping insulin low is like the thing, something involving all of that. The idea of, you know, constant low insulin or... Right. Like, because we do want insulin to be low during the fast when we're fasting, but the body is so much more complicated. Or one of the things we talked about that I think people, most people do not realize, and even I'm prepping right now to interview Gary Tobbs for the case for keto. And I was asking Marty, I've been, I've been asking every single authority figure or researcher in this area, what should I ask Gary? So I was asking Marty, what would he ask Gary? And one of the things was the difference between basal and bolus insulin, because so many people think that we just release insulin with food and that it's on or off. But the majority of our insulin, like the majority, I think 80% or something, well, it depends on what diet you're following, but the majority is the insulin that's just always there. You see, that's interesting that he said 80%. I mean, I remember a Butter Bob blog post and video. He said 50%. I mean, I don't know. So it ranges. Yeah, Butter Bob said 50% of your insulin that you've got circulating is just your natural. Yeah, and it ranges majorly since it's a percent, not a specific number. So while the specific number of like the insulin while fasting might not change, the amount of insulin released when eating might change, you know, depending on the macronutrients. So the percentage would change based on your macros. But even though that percentage changes, that doesn't necessarily mean it's changing the amount of insulin necessarily during the fast while the percentage would change. That was complicated. Did listeners follow that? I get, well, I get that because the math, as numbers change, percentages change. The range is different. The range changes. The number might just change for the food based on your macros, but not so much for the fast. So one number would change. It could drastically change the percent, but not drastically change the amount of insulin that you have outside of eating. And those are all ballpark numbers anyway, 50%, 80%. Those are not going to be set in stone for any any one person because we're all so different. 100%. So that's what he was saying about the case for keto was that and I need now I need to revisit it with this lens, but I think the majority of what he talks about is he really just looks at the insulin in response to food. Well, no, because he talks about the baseline insulin state of a given individual and smelling foods. I don't know. There's so there's so much. Listeners, I will put this in the study. I found I didn't find it. James Clement, who I've had on the show, sent it to me. This amazing new study came out. It's a review, I think. And it came out March 26th, so pretty recently. And it's called 100th Anniversary of the Discovery of Insulin Perspective, Insulin and Adipose Tissue Fatty Acid Metabolism. Oh my goodness. It's blowing my mind. I'm going to have to read it like 20 times. It dives really deep into the role of insulin in fat storage and fat release. And there's some really great quotes in there basically saying, with eating fat specifically, 
insulin is not necessarily the primary or only factor involving fat storage. And all of these other things can create fat storage as well. And it lists examples of like meal fat content, meal timing. I mean, like we knew that, right? We we knew that already. I mean, you and I knew that because we <laughs> But the, the misconception out there is, I don't know why, why it makes no sense that your body can't store fat from fat you eat. I mean, I've seen people say that. It says, for example, thus factors other than insulin play more important roles to stimulate adipose tissue uptake. So that means our body's taking up fat and storage of meal fatty acids, including meal fat content, (laughs) rate of meal fat appearance and circulation, repeated meal intake, lower body fat distribution, sex hormones, and other postprandial hormonal responses. Yeah. Really, I think people get it mixed up. Insulin is anti-lipolytic. I love that word. Meaning that if you have really high levels of insulin, it's hard to be in a really good fat-burning state with really high levels of insulin. But that doesn't mean that with low levels of insulin, you cannot store fat. And so that's the thing that people get mixed up. Oh, high levels of insulin can't burn fat. Low levels of insulin must mean I can't store fat. No. 100%. And also with the storing fat, people think, oh, fat doesn't release insulin that much. So that must mean it can't be stored. But the reason it doesn't release that much insulin is because it is easily stored. It's literally the opposite. You know, I was talking on a podcast for intermittent fasting stories. I was interviewing Joel and Renee, a mother-son team of intermittent fasters team. They both do intermittent fasting. It was a great episode. And we were talking about, you know, what I would do if I needed to lose weight. And I said, I would eat less fat because I know how my body is. This was a long time ago before I even knew I cleared fat slowly, but I just knew based on, you know, my results with keto that my body didn't do well with a lot of fat. But I said in that interview, I would just put less butter on my bread. I would not use as much butter in my cooking. I would lower my fat. And and somebody actually wrote to me and said, you're wrong. Fat is not the enemy. You cannot store fat. I'm like, what? And it just shows me that people are really confused. Yesterday on Instagram, I'm really trying to get, I don't know how to say his last name, Max Lugavir. The Genius Foods guy. <laughs> he wrote a book called Genius Foods, which is amazing. And then a new book called The Genius Life. And I really want to bring him on the show. And people have been asking. And I, I've been emailing his assistant, but he's not responding. So I've been trying, I've been trying to comment on his Instagram stuff to get his attention. But he posted something the other day that was all of these sort of misconceptions about diet. I'm just looking at it right now. So it's, like eggs are unhealthy, meat is unhealthy, avoid salt, sugar is fine. But then the next one is fat makes you fat and then use refined cooking oils and all, all these different things. But I commented and I said, the only one that I think about a lot is the fat makes you fat because when you're storing fat, probably the majority of it was from fat, not carbs or protein. So it, it's like, did the carbs make you fat or did the carbs create an environment that allowed the fat to make you fat? That's a good way of putting it. Had you eaten nothing but Fat. I mean, for me, yes, you can still store fat. Even Dr. Fung has a blog post about this where, you know, a lot of people didn't want to read it. Maybe you know how you put your hands in your ears and you go, la, 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 when you don't want to hear something. He wrote a blog post a long time ago that said, you know, who should have, you know, bulletproof coffee and fat bombs. And he was like, well, if you're trying to lose fat, not you. And so I think people just didn't really read that one or want to hear it. Because so many people do say that fat doesn't make you fat. But I feel like in most of the cases, it is the fat that's becoming fat. The hormonal environment is determining whether or not it is. So, or to what extent it is. I mean, I'll never know what happens if you eat nothing but 100% fat because I don't want to do that. It makes me feel yucky. So (laughs) it might be hard to overeat fat to that degree because you're just like, gross, I'm done. But I don't know. Yeah. If you just ate... No, I'm not thinking of tangents. I think if you just ate the C8 MCT oil, I don't think you would get fat. I don't think they would get stored. But I think it would make me really sick. Oh, yes. It would make <laughs> that's all you ate. I mean, you know, I mean, honestly, I don't know that I'd be able to eat enough of it to get it. Down. I don't know if I could choke it down enough to know if it would make me gain fat because I wouldn't be able to consume it in that level. That's the thing. It wouldn't be enjoyable. I, I, you know, ugh, ugh. 
<laughs> anyway, it's an interesting question. Also, oh wait, one really last last thing. I interviewed Dr. Gundry recently for his book. I think it's The Energy Paradox, because he's always got to use the word paradox. <laughs> and what he talks about a lot is monodiets in his book. Does he like monodiets? So I got so excited. For the longest time, I have thought if you do a mono diet of something, so just protein or just carbs or just fat, which not so much the fat one, but it makes it very hard to gain weight in such a situation. And he talks about the benefits of temporary mono diets, basically because they allow the system to sort of clear out because there's not all these competing fuels. His book is about healing your mitochondria. It's a really good book. I learned so much about the mitochondria, but it made me so happy because I was like, this is what I think about a lot. He actually advocates intermittent fasting, opening your window with a monotype diet, and then having your second meal later be not a mono diet. I'll put a link in the show notes to his book and any of the interviews I have done when this comes out. I don't think any of them will have aired though. Shall we jump into everything for today? Yes, let's get started. All right. So to start things off, we just have some very brief listener feedback, supportive listener feedback from Leah. The subject is Jen's new social network. And Leah says, Jen, and then she says in parentheses, and Melanie, (laughs) I just wanted to tell you thank you so much for starting your own social platform. I got off Facebook this year, and I am so excited to reconnect on your platform. Also, I want to tell you both that I am so inspired by what you have created. I have plans to start a podcast and create content in the future, and you're both such an inspiration to me. Thanks, Leah. Well, thank you, Leah. And it's dddsocialnetwork.com for delay, don't deny. That's what the D's are, dddsocialnetwork.com. And I'm really enjoying it. Like I mentioned before, my life is so much calmer now because not having to manage half a million Facebook members <laughs> and the posting and the posting. So I'm going on in the morning to the the DDD social network and I'm going you know, in the evening, a couple times a day. And also I'm checking my emails because I get instant emails if someone posts in the 28-day fast start group or the Ask Jen group. So I'm responding to those throughout the day, but it's so much less stressful, so much less pressure. You know, for new intermittent fasters, Melanie, I'm having so much fun coaching them in the 28-day fast start group. I mean, that just, you know, the people are like, I'm on day 10 and they're talking about it. It's exciting to see so many brand new people joining. I mean, it's not just for brand new people. We have lots of experienced fasters too, but I like to see, it's like we're starting fresh with new fasters. And also just like Leah said, a lot of people who had left Facebook, but missed the support. So the long-term fasters who were not on Facebook, but missed the community. So now they can have the community again. It really is exciting. I think I'll set up an email that I use just with that group. And then I can set it up to have alerts just for my little group in there. Cause I went in there the other day and I was like, Oh, there's all this stuff. Like there's a group for, for me in there. I didn't even realize. Well, I did realize, but yeah, but you hadn't really poked around. Yeah. It's so different than Facebook. This is the thing that confuses some people because they think it's going to be like Facebook 2.0 or something. And it's not because we're used to Facebook serving up the content to us. You know, I've been on Facebook or I was on Facebook since 2008 or something. And Facebook decided what you would see, and it showed it to you, and it served it up, and you you became a consumer of the information Facebook wanted you to see. Versus here on the DDD social network, you are creating the content. Yeah, and you decide where you want to go and what you want to engage with. You want to see the Melanie Avalon Biohacker podcast group? You go to it. And so some people are like, wait, I just wanted to show it to my eyeballs. We're like, no, that's not how it works. You got to go there. So if I did that, if I created an email, could I get alerts just for... Yeah, you change it to instant on the on the settings for each group. So I don't have every group I'm in set to instant, just the ones I never want to miss something in. You know, I never want to miss anything in Ask Jen, and I never want to miss anything in the 28-day fast start. But I don't really care what they're doing in the Melanie Avalon biohacking group, so I do not get instant notifications there. <laughs> And then they go to your email. And then it's very easy. You just go to your email and go click. And then it takes you right to it. From that click, it takes you right to that post. And then you can respond to it. It's so easy. And the notifications are different than Facebook notifications. But they're way, 
I mean, there's more of them because it doesn't group them together. You know how on Facebook it groups them together? Like if 20 people commented, it would group them together as one notification. Here you get 20 notifications, but you it just takes you to the post when you click on it. But they, they're less buggy. Okay, perfect. So for listeners, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then I always just want to clarify, I still have my Facebook groups. So those are still the place for all of my content. So those are IF Biohackers and Clean Beauty and Safe Skincare. And then I have a Lumen group, but you can just search Melanie Avalon in Facebook. Yeah. And I also still have the, the big Delay Don't Deny Intermittent Fasting Support Group. I'm just not there. The moderators are running it. And you can ask questions on Ask a Moderator, like like today we got, does alcohol break a fast? <laughs> and the answer is yes. Yes. But the moderators are handling those questions. It's just, you know, the basic questions. If you need more support and you want me to walk you through the 28-day fast start, you need to be at the DDD social network. Perfect. All right. Well, we have something from Alicia in Phoenix. And the subject is IF and dreams. She says, hello and happy day to you both. Intermittent fasting is fairly new to my lifestyle. Clean fasting for only six weeks after reading Jen's book, Fast, Feast, Repeat. Since finding your podcast, I've been learning tons. So thank you so much for your continued efforts in bringing all the new and emerging research on the subject. My question is about dreams returning after little to no dreaming for years. Have you heard about this or think it's connected? If so, how? I mean, it was a rare occurrence for me to have a dream. Now they're nightly. Since starting IF, I've been experiencing better sleep. I'm feeling more rested and notice I wake less often at night. I'm super happy about this delightful side effect and would appreciate any thoughts you might have as to the mechanism of how this is happening. Maybe hormone balancing? Deeper REM sleep? Side note, here's a little info about myself and my eating window slash pattern. I'm 5'5 and weigh 126 pounds. I started eating intuitively in 2019 after starting a daily yoga routine. Whole foods, lots of plants, cutting out what made my body unhappy, i.e. processed and sugar foods. I was inadvertently doing IF but not clean, waiting to eat until after my noon yoga session. I lost the 30 pounds I needed to within a nine-month period, but a couple creeped back on when I started loosening my strict no-sweets policy. Oh, a little tangent here. It made me laugh when I heard Jen talk about her love for black bean brownies on a recent episode. They are my faves. Yep, me too, Alicia. They're so good. People think they sound weird if they haven't ever had them. That's just a little side note there. What's funny is it doesn't even remotely strike me as weird. I'm like, oh, yeah. It's so good. (laughs) All right. Alicia says, black bean variety are the best, and I've tried many, many types of alternative whole food brownies. Anywho... Those couple pounds fell off after adopting the IF lifestyle. It was fairly easy at first, except the black coffee, since my DNA report shows I'm more likely to detect bitter taste, like gin, but I've grown to like it. Clean fasting ever since. My fasts last from 19 to 23 hours, although my average is 21. I eat until I feel good, always some veggies, and usually something sweet to close my window. When I'm being good, it's dates. Yum. When I'm splurging, it could be ice cream or a cannoli. Not often do I get those. Probably for the best. Never feeling guilty. Thanks in advance. Lots of love to you ladies. Alicia. Oh, and I also have an Aura ring and love it. Oh, I missed that. I didn't see that part. Oh, by the way, I had ice cream yesterday and it was amazing. <laughs> I'm at the beach with my sister. Ice cream was on the menu. We did a lot of walking. We were we were shopping, and then we went and walked around a place called Brook Green Gardens, which is just beautiful. It's spring, and they have all these gardens. It's like a place to see all sorts. Oh, I saw an owl, a baby owl. You Oh, you saw a baby owl? There's a baby owl. It was in, they had like something called Live Oak Alley. The owl, the baby owl was up in the tree, and all these people were taking pictures of it, like professional photos. And it was just so fluffy and cute, and it was big anyway. Oh, how big is a baby owl? It's whatever a big kind of owl is. It's a big species of owl. I can't remember the species that it is. But whatever they have down here in South Carolina that are really big, it's that. So the baby is as big as the adult of some species of owls. But yeah, it was so cute up in that tree. Anyway, tangent. Sorry. 
It's appropriate because owls and dreams at night. Well, that's true. I guess my point was I ate the ice cream, then I walked a lot. And so I didn't have restless legs. I didn't have any ill effects. I slept great. So that was the good news. Well, I really, really love this question. And I'm so happy for you. It sounds like she's really found the diet and lifestyle that works for her, which is awesome. And she has her aura ring, (laughs) which is awesome. So for your question, I actually asked Dr. Kirk Parsley, who is a sleep expert who I've had on the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast multiple times. So I sent him your question. So here is his answer. Her sleep is almost certainly improved by improving insulin sensitivity and tighter glucose control. Increased dreaming and more memories of dreams is a second order consequence of better sleep, an epiphenomenon. I asked, do people dream even when they don't remember it? He said, yes, remembering dreams depends a lot on waking and temporal proximity to the dream. So basically it's most likely that your sleep is getting better because of all of the health changes with your insulin regulation that you've experienced with intermittent fasting. And then it sounds like we do always dream, but whether or not we remember it has to do with the timing of when we wake up. So it's a short answer, but do you have thoughts, Jen? No, that's what I was going to say as well. We do always dream, whether you remember it or not. And that people don't know that because if you don't remember it, you're not aware you dreamed, but you did. Yeah, but you can still have increased dreaming and more memories of them because you're getting better sleep. So shall we go on to our next question? Yes. All right. So this question comes from Britt and the subject is ADF or one meal a day or both. (laughs) And Britt says, hi, ladies, love your podcasts and books. I'm a postmenopausal 53 year old and currently weigh around 190 pounds. I lost weight in 2010. She was 256 pounds and she went to 132 pounds after a gastric sleeve. And I kept it off mostly until about two years ago by focusing on protein and veggies and incorporating fasting after discovering Dr. Fung. Between COVID and a foot injury, I regained a considerable amount of weight last year. So I'm starting this back on track with fasting. I have no trouble fasting on a daily basis, 16 to 24 hours. It didn't seem like I was losing consistently, but I don't have the data to look back at. Now I've got 60 plus pounds to re-lose. After hearing Megan Ramos mention that 36 to 42 hours often works better for women, I decided to give it a try. I find it a lot harder to go the full 36 to 42 hours. Not physically, I don't have much hunger until the very end, but it's been fairly difficult mentally. I've struggled with feelings of deprivation and find myself thinking about eating at the end of the first day, probably two out of every three fasting cycles. So I'm wondering what advice you might have. Is it really worth pushing myself to do the three longer cycles per week? Is there that much of a difference in weight loss? Do I kick off the year with ADF and go for maximum weight loss? Start every fast with something like a 20 hour goal and keep going if my head is in the right place that day? Just do a longer fast one day a week and work my way back up to three or kick back to one meal a day and save ADF for a future stall. That was a lot of options. (laughs) She's thought this through. She says, insight appreciated. All right. So there's a lot to unpack in there. But first of all, I want to say, this is my experience, me. I lost 75 of my 80-ish pounds since I don't know what I weigh exactly. We'll say 80-ish. But I lost... The first 75 with a daily eating window, not doing any kind of ADF or longer fasts during that period of time. And so I didn't do really ADF. I had done it way before, like in earlier tries with fasting back in that 2009 to 2014 struggle period when I wasn't consistent with anything. I would dabble in eating window, then I would dabble in alternate day fasting and nothing really stuck because I wasn't consistent. But When I did finally get consistent and lose the weight in 2014 to 2015, it was with the daily eating window approach. And so, you know, when you say, quote, works better, well, that worked fine for me. It was after the obesity code came out when, you know, I was already in maintenance, but struggling with a little bit of weight regain, which I blame on the fact that I was not fast and clean because I didn't understand all of that until after I read the obesity code. And then I switched to the clean fast, lost the weight I had regained. But right after I read the obesity code, I did start doing a 4-3 approach because that's what he really, 
you know, that's he, he doesn't really have a plan in the book in the obesity code, except in the appendix at the back, he does have like a four three approach kind of. You know, where you're doing like like three like 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 you said that Megan Ramos mentioned, three thirty six to forty two hour fast per week. So that's what I did. I'm like, well, that's what he says, so I'm gonna do it. And so I did it and I did relose it was about eight pounds that I had regained. I did relose those doing that approach. And I also had switched to the clean fast. So did I relose those eight pounds because I was doing ADF or the 4-3 approach? Or did I lose them because I was finally fasting clean? We'll never know because I can't go back in time and replicate that study with a different approach. But you know, I, I did struggle with feelings of deprivation, like you're saying, Britt, that you went through. And so do you need to do it to lose weight? Well, clearly not every woman needs to do it to lose weight because I didn't. Do some women find that it's an approach that really helps their bodies? Yes, 100%. Especially if you're insulin resistant, you've been overweight and obese for a long time. Now you're talking about how you lost a great deal of weight in 2010 after gastric sleeve. So you do have a history of obesity and the the weight loss surgery. So that was, you know, that was a while ago, but you kept it off and then you you regained it, I guess, with the stress of COVID and your injury. So you're getting back on track there. So you may need to throw in a longer fast here and there, but it's really not all or nothing. If you've got fast feast repeat, I want you to reread the intermittent fasting toolbox section and pay attention to the part in the book where I talk about a hybrid approach. It's really not all or nothing where you have to either do daily eating window or do longer fast. I mean, you could throw in one 36-hour fast. You know, here on the DDD social network, our moderator, Roxy, leads us through Mealless Monday. I mean, I don't do it. I don't do Mealless Monday, but a lot of people do. They start off every Monday with one longer fast of 36 to 42 hours, followed by an up day. And then the whole rest of the week, you could do daily eating window approach if you want to. And so that's just one way you could do it. And, you know, once a week after a weekend, some people find that just starts the week off right and it feels good after a weekend where they might have had a little more indulgence than usual. And it also keeps you from having that adaptation that you might have. Because even though intermittent fasting does protect us metabolically in many ways, you still can adapt if you do exactly the same thing day in, day out. Fortunately for me, I never do because I'll have a day where I'm just hungrier and I eat more. I've never really fallen into that rut of, you know, 23-1 day after day after day or something. I just naturally switch things up. But if you find yourself naturally not switching things up, then you might need to purposefully do some switching up. So, oh, one other thing that I highlighted that was so important. This sentence right here, it didn't seem like I was losing consistently, but I don't have the data to look back at. Okay, I really, really, really do not want you to go by feel or what it seems. I don't want anybody to do that. You know, when I was trying to be an intuitive eater and they're like, just eat intuitively and you'll be fine. I was not good at knowing what my body was doing. I could gain a whole lot of weight without feeling it. And so you got to have some kind of data. I want you to reread the scale schmale chapter of Fast Feast Repeat. And if you don't want to use the scale, don't use the scale. That is only one way to do it. Use measurements, use progress photos, use honesty pants, but use something. And if you are going to use the scale, weigh daily and you need to calculate your weekly average or use an app like Happy Scale that does that for you and shows you your trend. I don't want anybody to go by what it feels like. That is the number one worst way to know whether you're losing or gaining. I mean, I'm puffy right this minute because I ate two meals yesterday with ice cream in between. And so, you know, I quote, feel like I might be gaining weight. Am I? No, I'm just puffy. You really can't go by how you feel. I don't want you to do that. That is not a good tool. Awesome. I have three thoughts. The first thought was, it's ironic. I don't know if it's ironic. Okay. So if I read her question a little bit out of order, and if I just read the end and she's asking about what to do to lose this stubborn weight... I would suggest without reading the first paragraph of her message, exactly what she did the first time around, which would be a high protein veggie diet with a normal one meal a day type fasting window. So, which it sounds like that's what 
worked for her the first time. I'm wondering why she doesn't want to do that again. Like, it seems that instead she wants to do these really long fasts, but she doesn't like fasting longer. Well, she doesn't say she did one meal a day at the beginning. She doesn't say that that's what she did. She discovered Dr. Fung focused on protein and veggies. Maybe she was doing longer fasts because a lot of people... And incorporating fasting. Yeah, because we don't know what she did at the beginning. Well, although she does say after hearing Megan Ramos mention, yeah, decided to give it a try. I I feel like this is a new idea to her. Maybe. And she says, you know, she finds it difficult mentally. So it's like something that she is struggling with the concept and actually implementing it. For me, when it comes to weight loss, yes, the longer fasts are an avenue to that potentially. I believe the amount of change you can make if you haven't addressed the food choices within just a quote, normal fasting, one meal a day type window are extraordinary. And I would suggest exactly what she already did, which was the protein and veggies. So that's what I would suggest is doing that. Unless there's some reason that you, you know, don't want to do that again. The second question was, oh, so this is kind of a a question for you, Jen, just the concept in general. How do you feel about the concept of starting every fast with a 20 hour goal and keep going if your head is in the right place that day? Is that something that you ever recommend to people to do? When you start off with a goal that every day must be 20, then I feel like you're going to set yourself up for feeling disappointed and like you've failed if you don't make that. You could say, I want my week to have an average of 20 or something like that. Because then you'll have some days where it might have been 22 and another day it was 18, but you still had an average of 20. Whereas if you said every day I'm going to make it to 20, that day that you did 18, you might feel like you failed, but really your average was 20. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get an exclusive discount on one of my favorite products for truly upgrading your health on a cellular level. So the new year is upon us, and it's often a time where people are really trying to instill new habits and really upgrade their health. There's something I have been using for years, not just at the new year, literally every single day of my life. I am not making that up. Even when I travel, I have a way to address it then, which I will tell you about. And it's something that is so easy and feels amazing. That is red light and near-infrared therapy. Okay, so friends, you could go somewhere and pay a lot of money to do red light near-infrared therapy sessions, or you could just bring it to your home and use it every single day. That's what I do. I've been using Juve red and near-infrared light therapy devices for so long. There are so many clinically proven benefits of red light therapy. That includes improving your skin. Yes, you really will notice it. Faster muscle recovery, reduced pain and inflammation, enhanced sleep, and so much more. I use it in the morning and evening as ambient light because it actually mimics the setting and rising sun. And then I sort of run it throughout the day as well to help combat all of the blue light that we're exposed to, which can have a negative effect on our health. Whenever I have muscle pain, I shine Juve on the muscle. For me, it has made the pain go away instantly. And then for chronic pain, when I do continued sessions, it's made it dissipate. One of my good friends who is a doctor uses these devices on his, shall we say, manhood for benefits there. Yes, it can help in that department as well. I honestly could not imagine my life without Juve. You will just feel so good using these devices. People also post all the time in our Facebook group of their pets gravitating towards the Juve because intuitively they just know that it's good for them. The reason Juve can address so many things related to health is because it actually affects our cells on the mitochondrial level. Basically, it makes those cells perform better. And when those cells are performing better, everything just works better. That's why, yes, Juve can help with your energy as well. I've been recommending Juve specifically for years because the quality of their devices are the best. Their modular design allows for a variety of setup options to give you flexibility. The treatments are so easy. You can do them in as little as 10 minutes, or you can be using it all throughout the day like I do. All you have to do is relax and let your body take in the light. They also have their Juve Go, which you can travel with. Yes, that is how I really do use this every single day. That Go is also great for targeting specific areas of your body, like hurting joints or sore muscles. Honestly, friends, health doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be complicated. 
complicated. If you're looking to enhance your health and wellness this new year, start with what matters, which is your cells. And Juve has an amazing offer just for our audience. You can go to juve.com slash IF podcast and use the coupon code IF podcast to get a discount on your qualifying order. Again, that's J O O V V dot com forward slash IF podcast to get an exclusive discount on your order. Pick up Juve today. Some exclusions apply. I really hope you guys can experience Juve. It really is one of my favorite things. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. What's ironic is that is what worked best for me. (laughs) Was what? Every day it had to be 20? Well, not 20 specifically, but focusing on the minimum fasting hours. Like that was the most freeing approach for me. Well, that's the thing. You have to find what's the most freeing approach to you. But a lot of people beat themselves up when they set a goal of every day I'm going to do 20 and then I have permission to eat. That's a rule. That's a diet rule that it might help you. Maybe that's the kind of thing that makes you successful. And there are people like that. But there are also a lot of people that feel like you failed if you don't then make it to 20. For me, I am more of the kind of average kind of a person. Like I said, as long as as I'm doing the average, you know, this day was 18, but that day was 22, hey, it worked out. That gives me flexibility, but also having a goal, but it's still a flexible goal, but it still averages out to be 20. How is it different from having an end to your eating window? What do you mean? So the way I like to do fasting is the marker that I have, and we've talked about this a lot before on the show, but the thing I'm counting and the marker that I have is the fast. And then when I eat, there's no rule or boundary on that compared to when you flip it. Some people put the rule and boundary. That was me. That was, see, that was me. I was the eating window person. If I wanted to get a little more structured ever, if I needed to lose weight or something, I would work on focusing the length of my eating window and shutting it down. You know, like for me, tracking the eating window is a better approach because if I have too long of an eating window, I can overeat. So for me, the eating window was a better thing to track. As long as I kept it to five hours or less, that was better. So my fast might have been 18, but my eating window still was, you know, five. And then maybe the next day my fast was 22, but then my eating window was still kept it to less than five. You really have to find what works for you. And the only reason I wanted to elaborate on it was I didn't want to discourage. Because like I said, for me, that's what works best is, and I don't do it really anymore. But in the beginning, that's what really, really worked for me was minimum fasting hours and then no rules, no regulations around the eating. And that was just ridiculously freeing for me. But some people do better with the opposite, which is, you know, not having really any rules or regulations around the fast and then having more rules and regulations around the eating window, just as far as determining times of things. And I guess it's what do you struggle with? For me, it was, you know, I needed a, all right, I've had enough now. It's time to stop. My window's been open for five hours. (laughs) You know, that was like, okay, that's enough. The question I was trying to get to, because I think we focused on the 20 hours. The question I was trying to get to though, is how do you feel about if somebody wants to do one of these longer fasts, like the ones that Britt was referring to the idea of, I'll just do my normal time-restricted eating, intermittent fasting window, and then if I feel like it, go longer. How do you feel about that concept? Well, that, you know, plays into the idea of intuitive eating. And I I like the, the idea of listening to your body, obviously. So if you are, if you get to hour 20 and you say, am I hungry? You know, I'm really not. You give yourself permission to eat if you want to. Instead of telling yourself you can't or you're going to fail. And you could also do the down day approach where you have the 500 calorie meal on the down day. You could get to hour 20 and say, all right, do I want to continue to fast to 36 hours or do I want to just play it by ear or do I want to have a down day meal? Have a 500 calorie meal and then close your window and then the next day is an up day. That's also a perfectly good approach. So anybody who's like, what is she talking about? If you haven't read Fast Feast Repeat, the chapter on alternate daily fasting approaches. You know, you can have a full 36 to 42 hour fast, or you can have a 500 calorie down day where you fast clean, then you have one small 500 calorie meal, and then you start a second fast, and then the next day is your up day. Perfect. You're always such a wealth of knowledge. That's because I, I got all this part down, Pat. <laughs> 
Don't ask me about ADF and all of this. <laughs> but, you know, there's there's so many ways you can adjust it. And what what I really was so interested in is feedback after people read Fast Feast Repeat. You know, I talk about the hybrid approach, which is really, I, I made that wording up. I didn't make up the word hybrid, of course, but I applied it to fasting. I'd never seen it applied there. But people were like, I had no idea you could mix and match. I'm like, yes, yes, you can. And I'm like, why would, but, but we're so used to following plans where people tell us exactly what to do. And instead, no, this is your intermittent fasting toolbox and you can do whatever you want. And there's the freedom. Taylor Swift says, take my hand, wreck my plans or something like that <laughs> from Willow. Shall we do one more question? Yes. Oh, wait. I think it's take my hand, wreck my plans. That's my man. Okay. I wanted to actually throw out one. It's not really a resource, but I actually did just post a blog post all on fat cells. The reason I'm bringing it up is I mentioned because she had gastric surgery, right? Yes. So I do talk about that a little bit. I dive deep into fat cells and burning and how they expand and how they shrink. And I address the myth of do fat cells die because people think that they don't ever die naturally, but they do. They do. It's about 10% per year. And then I actually talk about different fat removal methods. So things like cold sculpting, liposuction, and things like that. And I kind of ponder the implications of that and what that lead to weight regain afterwards. So it's interesting to hear, like, for example, well, oh, she had gastric sleeves. So that creates weight loss by not actually removing fat cells, but by shrinking your stomach. If listeners are interested, it's at melanieavalon.com slash fat cells. All right. So we have a question from Carolina or Carolina. Either is a beautiful name. As I'm sitting here in South Carolina recording, her topic is toilet urgency when breaking fast. And she says, good day to you. I've been doing IF for a year or so with some 24-hour and 36-hour fasts now and then. A very common occurrence for me is to have toilet urgency with number two very soon after breaking fast. Any thoughts, please? Thanks, Carolina or Carolina. All right, Carolina. I would say Carolina, but who knows? We've had questions about this before and it can obviously be a lot of things. One of the things that I have read that I feel like makes a lot of sense to me that it could be is just when we eat, even though we're putting in food at like the top of our system and it's in the stomach and the small intestine, that tends to stimulate peristalsis, so digestive movement throughout our entire digestive tract. So when we eat, it can stimulate our lower, our colon, our large intestine. And depending on the the state of our large intestine in general, which depends a lot on your gut microbiome state, it could basically start that process. And depending on what the environment situation is down there, that might manifest as diarrhea. So that's an option. Another option, I don't know what you're eating, but people can experience this effect when they have fat with a meal and it creates stimulation of the gallbladder and that can lead to an effect down there. As far as my suggestion about the solution, and we just really don't have enough information to know, but I think it would be something where you would want to work with your food choices to try to address your gut microbiome state down there. So finding the diet that works for you for that. And I know that's really vague, but as far as supplements might help, I mean, probiotics can potentially help. I really like P3OM with Bioptimizers. They're actually the sponsor on today's episode. So you can listen to the ad for that to get a coupon. I actually just emailed them last night and I said, I was like, can you send me some more P3OM? Cause I'm running out. I really think that looking at your food choices would be the thing to do here. And the reason I think it starts happening a lot for a lot of people with fasting is you've changed from eating throughout the day and having this peristalsis and slow movement throughout the day compared to a fasting situation where it's like more of a sort of like a shock. Like it's all, you know, you're, you haven't been eating and then you do eat. And so it just turns on all of this movement. So that's my thoughts, Jen. What are your thoughts? We hear it a lot in the communities, you know, that people have this issue. Not a lot of people have it, but we hear it frequently. I guess that's the way of putting it. It's, it's a common 
thing that we hear that happens to some people. I'm so glad that it didn't happen to me, though. <laughs> this is a problem I'm glad I didn't have. I feel your pain, those of you that that have had this issue, because I'm sorry. I know that that it's it's not fun, and you're like, what's happening? So what Melanie said, trying to get your gut health back in balance is, is a great idea. Just know that, yeah, it's just, it's your body getting things moving again, really. Yeah. So just the food, the food choices. That actually made me think of something, Jen. Okay. What? I have a question for you. All right. I've been dying to know, are you still implementing anything that you learned from your Zoe trial? That's a great question. I've got it in the back of my mind. I mean, I will never not know that information about myself. So it helps me just feel confident in my food choices, but I already was. So it's like, you know, knowledge is power. Like I said, it confirmed what I knew about what foods really worked well for me and taught me a few things about that. And so, I mean, do I follow it? Like, this is how I eat exactly according to these. No. And what did it recommend for you? It's not as easy as just saying that. It gives you like there's an app and you can plug things in and see what things work well for your gut, what things work well for you based on your blood clearance, based you know what your how quickly you clear blood glucose, how quickly you clear fat. And what really was interesting to me was how the timing of what I eat makes a difference as far as like if I eat too much fat in a concentrated period of time. So for example, it would be better for my body to eat over a maybe a you know eat a little something to open my window and then wait a while long if i eat if i eat something high fat wait longer before i eat again so you know if the same amount of food in a 6 hour window if i'm eating a lot of fat would allow my body to clear the fat before i put more in well what's really interesting is i don't know enough about the details but it's like that st- study we mentioned at the beginning where it was saying that fat... Fat clearance, 100%. Or something about the timing of fat into the, the bloodstream was a factor. What did it say? I think you used the word fat clearance. Uptake and storage of meal fatty acids, including meal fat content, rate of meal fat appearance and circulation. Yeah. You know, all of these factors are so, so important. You know, we've all been trained by the diet industry that the only thing that matters is calories in, calories out. And so if you're eating the exact same thing or the macros, the exact same macros, the exact same calories, why does it matter if you eat them over one hour or six hours, right? That, But the way your body handles it, it really can matter. Sorry, I'm just remembering something that I, I don't know if we have time. Okay, I'll, I'll tell it really quick. So in Dr. Gundry's book that we talked about, there was a study, are you familiar with the NIH study? I think there was one study in monkeys. I don't have the details, but there was two different institutions that did a study in monkeys and they were looking at calorie restriction. And one of the groups testing the monkeys, the monkeys were on a high fat, sugary processed diet. The other monkeys, they were on a, like a more whole foods type diet. And both of the monkeys had health benefits, but only the the monkeys on the processed diet had increased longevity. Processed food diet had better longevity? Yes. So (laughs) they were trying to theorize why that was. And Dr. Gundry was saying that he had theorized with other people that it was the low protein content of the processed diet that was the reason. But then they did a follow-up study. I got so happy because I read this and then I was like, I think I know why, what it was. Dr. Gundry doesn't really come out and say this. And I talked with him when I interviewed him and I asked him about it and I was like, is it this? And he said, yes, it's that. But he said the publishers made him word it really weird because he couldn't come out and say this. (laughs) But so they did a follow-up study with mice to try to figure out what was going on. And they, they did all different setups. So they did mice that were... I think eating like their normal food all throughout the day and the mice that were eating the food in a calorie restricted in a fasted window, like a time restricted window, and then mice that could have all of their normal food, but in a time restricted window. And they were trying to figure out what was going on. And long story short, they found that the longer fasting was creating the most health benefits. So the theory with the monkeys 
is that the high fat diet, because they ate for a shorter amount of time, because in order to control the calorie situation, they would give it just at one time. Like they, they, they didn't have access to it all day. So they had longer fasting. That was a variable. It wasn't the food. It was the longer fasting. Yeah. Right. So the monkeys eating the whole foods, it took them longer to eat it compared to the monkeys that ate the processed foods. They ate it really fast and then they had a longer fast and they actually had more health benefits. And this is all theorizing, but, and so like with calories, if they are, you know, eaten and cleared a lot faster, it matters. The timing matters. The reason it was, because I read that section in his book, I kept reading it over and over and over again because I was thinking what I just said. I was like, it just sounds like because the processed food was digested way faster, that they had a longer fast and that was where the benefits came. But he doesn't outright say that because I guess the publishers didn't want him to make it look like he was saying eat processed food. Right. There's never been a study that had ultra processed food lead to better health outcomes with all other variables being equal. Oh, with all other, yeah, with all other variables constant. Yeah. Well, because see, that's the thing. You can't, you can't draw conclusions when the variables are so unequal. I guess what you would have to do for that study is you'd have to have ultra processed food, same amount of calories in whole foods, and then you'd have to like dose out the processed food so that the time window is the same time window as the whole foods. So. In any case, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. If you'd like to submit your own questions for the show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. We have all of the stuff that we like at ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. These show notes for today's episode are at ifpodcast.com slash episode 211. And then lastly, you can follow us on Instagram. I'm Melanie Avalon, Jen is Jen Stevens, and you can join our various groups that we talked about in the show notes. So anything from you, Jen, before we go? No, I think that's it. All right. Well, this was absolutely wonderful and I will talk to you next week. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.